Let's also memorize some scripture verses. Rooted and grounded in love. Hey! Rooted and grounded in love. Hey! Rooted and grounded. How high and deep and wide and long is Papa God love for me? <laughs> Rooted and grounded in love. <laughs> Just wave to me and smile and say, wow. Say it backwards. Say it upside down. You're doing a good job. You may be seated. <laughs> wow. Before I start, I do want to uh, take a few moments, and uh, Aaron Simmons, who is with me, is yeah, a, he's a good covenant friend of this house, and, and I know that uh, Jim and uh, Mary uh, are, are, are close to Aaron and Nicole, and, uh, but I, I felt that it would fit in very well for him to share a little bit of the testimony, because I feel it is connected to the very message. Uh, I, I think this is a little bit more of a school setting, so we're going to just we're just going to be family, and everyone we're going to find our place at the family table, and then uh, wow, and you're going to bring your special sauce to the family table, <laughs> and uh, so everybody gets to taste and see how God is, how good God is, and then how loved you are by just uh, because when you're looking at each one of you, and I'm just thinking about that, uh, you're made in His image, and so you look good, by the way. And so looking even at your face, there's a reflection of Papa God that can only be seen in you. And when you are stepping in, becoming you, and, and finding out who you are, and then you can step into where you are, and then what you have, and then you're stepping into what you're called to do. Yeah. So I'm, I'm so thrilled to be here, and I had the honor of uh, meeting uh, your pastor and his wife, and still had an impact in regard, I still remember probably the best message I've had on communion. And he, he preached on communion. We were in New York together, and I've heard of you for years. Uh, actually, done a, quite a few events here in the area. Uh, did a, I remember we did a healing school at Trinity Methodist Church with Randy Clark, and got to meet uh, some of you who may be there. And so that was one of the first introduction to this area. And I love this region, love this area, love what the Father is doing in this area. So over the years, I would say for the last 14, 15 years, I've been there a few times, and I've met quite a few of the people of this house, and always enjoyed because I often know, even if I didn't know Jim and Mary at the time, when you meet the sons and daughter, it reflects a little bit who is the father and mother. So you can kind of smell some of the DNA that is in the house when I started to meet some other people, and, and you can recognize, ah, you're part of the Zion family. And I love being here with this beautiful, beautiful family that are representing heaven on earth. But Aaron Simon, I was just there at their church uh, right before that in Chicago, where we just had a wonderful event in Chicago. It's called the Hub Chicago. So I was there on Thursday night, and that's when the snowstorm was coming in. And I got it right in before, and a few of the other speakers uh, couldn't get in there. And then the minister there on Friday, and then continue. We went there, and we had a phenomenal time, kind of a more a, a glory night yesterday, <laughs> when heaven just kissed earth, and His presence just came in, and it was just... Yeah, so I love his presence. When you have his presence, you have everything. And if you have everything and you don't have his presence, you have nothing. 
So I just loved the presence of God. And then, uh, then I had this battlefield because on my way here, uh, not here, but to, to see Aaron from Chicago, and I landed, and I had one of the top Muslim leaders in the Middle East that had sent me a text, and, and I have a technophobia. <laughs> So it was, he said, Ken, I know we wanted you to be at this event, but there's 500 top Muslim scholars and imams. They're meeting together about what's going on, on the world issues. And, and they had invited me to be there, and I, I knew I couldn't because I'm going to be here. So uh, just as I landed and I was just showing uh, Jim, I was just showing him on the phone. So uh, I came up with, him, maybe I could do a Skype call with you. And you have that big screen there and all this room like this just full of imams with these long beards and it's kind of a who is whom they influence about 60 million people that group and then uh, but then I couldn't sleep all night so I had like two three nights without sleep so that was the side effect of this thing I said yes to that and then I'm up at night and I'm just trying to figure out how to use Skype in the right way I'm nervous and then I saw this battlefield, what do I say and what do I not say and then how do you release on Skype to 500 different people because I know that uh, when you're a son and a daughter with a dove. <laughs> and this dove becomes a resting place because you are at rest. And there was so much restlessness, this war on the inside. I first had to surrender and just coming into that resting place. So I became a resting place of the dove. And then when you realize you have an A plus before you take the exam. Then you can go and have fun. So I released, and I didn't even know if it was working, so I ended up on Skype there and released that over there. And I just got the pictures there from the stories and from around the Middle East and everything else, what was taking place in that place. So sometimes it's good to just leak a little bit, and you can even do it on Skype. So I just encourage, but Aaron has been a part of our life, part of our family. He is a spiritual son, but he's also a very close friend. Travel some with me in different parts of the world. And so we just do life together. And I, I want you to hear when I talk, and I'm just very honest about it. A lot of my language is, uh, I use family language. I believe that God is a family. God is a father. God is a son. And God is a Holy Spirit. And so I, I, the way I see things with lenses, uh, I have uh, sun glasses, S-O-N glasses. <laughs> and that's including all of you ladies. So all of you ladies just wave to me and say, say, I'm a son. <laughs> and all of you men says, I'm a bride. <laughs> and we men, we're going to be the bride of Christ for eternity. You ladies are just going to be sons temporary. <laughs> just on this side. So, so this is a kingdom language. It's not about male and female. It is the spirit of sonship that says, Abba, Papa, Father. And I wanted Aaron just to share a little of the testimony because it is an encouragement. He shared before his family this morning and just some of the things that God did. And I think it's just connected to the message. And then I wanted to show you a little video, a video from the Middle East because you will hear my story that when Dr. Randy Clark prayed for me, I think there were some people that just heard, you just heard Randy sharing this story. And, and I was a Baptist pastor, and my biggest dream was to see my Baptist church go from 185 to 200. And I know it was a very big dreamer, but then, uh, <clears throat> but then we had a few funerals. <laughs> so we had, to, we had to start a better evangelism program to try to reach the goal. And, and I was pretty much burned out with a lot of sheep bites. 
But in the middle of all of that, the story for me also with Dr. Randy Clark, and you will hear, I'm going to share a little bit of it afterwards, but just uh, uh, one word from God can change everything. Just one encounter with his presence changes everything. And that's one of the reasons that uh, what you see on the video, one of the things that uh, Randy says, you're going to be a bulldozer, and you're going to go into the darkest places in the world where the gospel has never been before. And I'm thinking, no, I'm a Baptist pastor when they call me a bulldozer. <laughs> I told you how well uh, educated I was in the prophetic. <laughs> and then uh, the next moment I'm laying on the floor and God says, you're going to see a million Muslims saved. And, and I was thinking, I, I don't know one Muslims. Uh, I, and then I was thinking, I don't even like Muslims. I'm laying on the floor, but then God just rewired you in the presence. And when I came up, June 6, 1995, my life was totally transformed. So you're going to hear that story, but then you're going to hear about another story. So it's kind of those two things that kind of sets up the journey of my life. And freely I have received, freely I will give. So Aaron, could you just come up and just share, share a little bit of your journey and just what happened to you? And uh, then we're going to have a little bit of fun tonight. Can you give Aaron a... This is Pastor Aaron Simmons. Pastor Aaron. How are you? Good. Are you ready to party tonight? I think... I know Jim and Mary, so I know you guys like to party a little bit. So, Jim, it's an honor. He's one of my best friends, and uh, we we try to be intentional about an every other uh, lunch. And uh, we used to do go-karting. We need to bring that back. We called it Gozo instead of Sozo, just be go-karting indoors. But anyway, it's good to be here, and it's a privilege to have my spiritual father in one of my best friend's homes. So this is a really cool opportunity and privilege for me just to be a part of this and uh, to kind of bridge some of that. But anyway, uh, the story that I'll share very briefly, I, I think I shared it a couple years ago here at one at a school. And basically, about seven years ago, burnout uh, my dad had founded our church, was the pastor. My mom had passed away of cancer. We, too, are a church that believes in raising the dead, cancer going to hell where it belongs, healing, radical miracles. When that didn't happen, it left our church pretty broken, pretty upset, pretty hurt. Why? You know? So uh, I, too, was broken. We had just had our third daughter. We were in the middle of a very large building, um, new, new building that we were building for our church. And uh, I was leading the youth, small group ministries, just basically everything an assistant pastor does, uh, as well as trying to be a husband, dad, full-time firefighter. So just with burnout. A good friend of mine in Indiana calls. He's like, hey, we're having this guy come. His name's Leif Hetland, and he's called the Apostle of Love. You need to come over here. I was like, no, I ain't nobody got time for that. So, so I was just like, I can't. But then something inside of my wife and I were like, we got to go. So we reluctantly went, and um, it, it, was, it was just the Lord used it to transform my life. So we received an experience that we call the baptism of love, and uh, it rewired us. So I knew the power and the fire of the Holy Ghost. I was on fire for Jesus, but I never had experienced or known the Father's love. And uh, so there's this whole new level of love, and it saved my life. I was suicidal leading up to that point as a pastor, broken, 
burnout. I was suicidal. My marriage was falling apart. Our church was going to probably fall apart. Uh, but God's love, Jesus intervened. And uh, so it's, it's an affectionate thing that we say we're covenant because he not only is, a, is, that's kind of the goal of a father-son is become best friends. And so when we travel together, we have a ton of fun. We're friends. Um, but he's also a father. But literally, he potentially saved our life, our ministry, our marriage. So how many want to receive baptism of love tonight? This is just an appetite. I'm just, I'm just wetting your whistle a little bit. I think you're going to, but just for a moment here, just, just put your hand on the person next to you. So Holy Spirit, we invite you in right now. All orphan spirits, go, fear, go in the name of Jesus. We welcome you. God, you are love, and we welcome your love. Father, you're good. You love your children. So we just ask for a baptism of refreshing, a baptism of love. Lord, just a baptism of you. We thank you for your love, Jesus. We thank you for your affection. We thank you for your affirmation that we are good enough, that you're taking nobodies and making them somebodies. You're taking zeros, making them heroes tonight. We thank you, Jesus, for radical transformations. We thank you for reconciliation, (laughs) restoration, and transformation in Jesus' name. We love you, Papa. Amen. Thank you, David. Let's watch the video. This is when we passed the one million mark, by the way, and you will see it. I just uh, wanted to thank every single one of you for uh, giving and praying so that I have an opportunity to go to Pakistan. Uh, It is such a joy to be able to be back home. Uh, to be able to see everyone and to be alive. It was a wonderful, wonderful trip.
Can we give Jesus a good hand? <laughs> wow. I'm going to just take my time this evening, and part of my whole heart is a little bit what Aaron shared is for, for every one of us, first of all, to have an encounter how good Papa God is, and then how loved we are. I want everyone in the world to experiencing a God just like Jesus. And the Father loves us just the way we are, but He refuses for us to stay that way because He wants us to be just like Jesus. And I'm just going to use this as a kind of a stage. This is a, I wrote a book called Call to Rain that is available that is primary about for you to stay in this chair, number one. And I wanted to give that to somebody that just wants it. You can come and get it. I know that. Congratulations. So, what, what this is all about for me is to creating a paradigm shift. How many of you, in a moment, you're experiencing just the presence of be in this environment? But even like for myself, when I saw 200 Christian homes, 80 businesses, before you know it, you're getting overwhelmed by fear. And then you're asked to go stepping right into it. So whatever overwhelms you, shapes you. So if you're being overwhelmed by fear, fear is going to shape you. If you're being overwhelmed by perfect love, guess what's going to shape you? So we're going to just kind of help him with a little bit of paradigm shift. I showed a video for a purpose here. I have these three chairs with me. And let me just start with saying, everyone in the world, they lived a life from one of these three chairs. It has to do with a paradigm or a perspective. Everyone in this room, you live your life in one of these three chairs. Actually, if you're married, your, your marriage would either be, if I looked at it, a chair number one marriage or two or three. If you run a business, it's either chair number one, two, three. And I'm going to describe and color this. And it's just been very, very helpful for me because uh, I think it's going to give some tools for you. It's like one of my friends, his name is Happy Lehman and Diane. They're running an incredible place, one of the mega churches. They were involved with John Wimber from the beginning. And I came in with this chair language and what he did to all of the leadership of their satellite churches and stuff. He gave a picture of the three chairs. So when they were going to make a business decision, they wanted to say, is this a chair number one decision? I want to make sure all of us are in chair number one. So are you ready? Okay, I need your help a little bit. This is chair number one. Which chair is this? Uh, let's try that one more time. This is chair number one. Which chair is this? This is chair number two. Which chair is this? And this is chair number three. Which chair is this? The chair number one is all about the kingdom of God. Say kingdom of God. The Bible says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Matthew 6, 33. And all these things shall be added unto you. So chair number one is all about the kingdom of God. Chair number two is all about the kingdom of self. Mean the people that are living their life in chair number two, it is about me. Give me, touch me, bless me, fill me, 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 me. I was in Australia, and there was this one lady, she came up, she had been flying to meet me, and I think she had seen me on Sid Roth or something. She said, well, I came to this meeting, and, 
and, and, and it was so long, and the worship, they went on for like two hours, and, and I can be honest, we, I, I didn't like it. It was so loud and everything else, and I came to hear you, and, and I said, it's okay that you didn't like the worship because it was not for you, it was for him. <laughs> but sometimes we forget it because so many times it's about me. And I told my friend Lenny LeBlanc, we were together, and I sang the song, There is none like me. <laughs> so, so chair number two. No, the, the song is chair number one. There is none like you. No one else can touch my... It's a whole different way of living and loving. So this is the kingdom of God. Say kingdom of God. Kingdom of self. Kingdom of the world. The majority of the world live their life in chair number three. Actually, about 1.6 billion Muslims, and you can divide them between the Sunnis, Shiites, about 85, 87% Sunni Muslim. And when I do a seminar workshop here, very much because my biggest desire is to actually do bring you into this chair number one. And when you are in this place, you're going to change the environment and the atmosphere. And this is part of what I want us to capture before this evening is over. So I, I, we're going to find a super glue to chair number one. <laughs> and uh, so, but this wall here, you also have over a billion Hindus. You will find all these Buddhists, and you will find, but you will find the majority of Americans are living the life in chair number three. And I will describe a little bit more of it, but I'm going to focus this evening pretty much on these two chairs, because I know that almost everyone in this place. So if you're living your life in chair number one, you are saved. Say the word saved. If you live your life in chair number two, you are saved. Say the word saved. But if you live your life in chair number three, you are lost. Say lost. So the majority of the world's population, including in America, and we're living in a society that are living in darkness, and you have all these people that are lost. Well, we know that according to Luke 19, 10, Jesus came to save that which was lost, not just those. Let me say that again. In Luke 19, 10, it says that Jesus came to save that which was lost. Those are included, but it is much more that was included than just those. It was that which was lost. Anywhere where the enemy came to kill, steal, and destroy, Jesus came to give life and life more abundantly. Because Jesus came to save that which was lost. When you're living your life in chair number one, it is the spirit-filled life. Say that with me. The Bible says, walk in the spirit, and when you walk in the spirit, you shall not fulfill the desires of your flesh. The key to conquer flesh is to learn to walk in the spirit. The Bible says the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, chair two, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the spirit. Put it in another way. The kingdom is in the spirit. And when you are in the spirit, there is righteousness, peace, and joy. That is just coming out of a life in the spirit. When I'm in the spirit, the supernatural is what's natural. Chair number one people, the very simplicity of this, this is the hard work of rest. <laughs> it's actually the resting chair. And out of rest, you're wearing the enemy out. When I'm in this chair, I'm seeing the Father's face. And every face looks different after I've seen His face. Because what I'm beholding, I am becoming. And what I become, I release. Let me say that again. What I am beholding is what I'm becoming. And what I become is what I release. 
So Chia number one here, I'm seeing my father's face. Here, I'm hearing my father's voice. When I'm in chair number one, I'm feeling and I'm experiencing my father's love. When I'm in chair number one, I'm living and abiding in my father's presence. And I'm living from the father's pleasure. He is well pleased with you. And Jesus had this before he had done anything. He had the affirmation of the Father and the anointing of the Spirit led into the wilderness to be tested. He came out of the wilderness full of the Spirit. But he had an A plus before he took the exam. So why would you, in chapter number two, why would you want to live from pressure when you can live from the Father's pleasure? Chair number two is very, very different than chair number one. And I want you to capture, I said that chair number one is saved. Chair number two is also saved. And I know some people theologically wants to argue with me if chair number two can be saved. And I was doing this at an Assembly of God pastors conference a few years ago. And I had this one pastor came up to me. I don't believe that chair number two person can be saved. And I said, that's okay. In, in your sermon, they can be lost in mind. They are saved. And then another one, he came up, are you saying I cannot lose my salvation? I said, no, lose whatever you want to. <laughs> I'm just saying it because I'm describing the chairs. I'm just describing to you that nothing can separate me from my father's love. I'm just talking about I'm very secure in the finished work what Jesus has done for me. And I'm not going to go into debate chair number two, but when I'm describing chair number two, it is the soulish life. It is people here, and when you are in chair number two, it's very different. Because when you are in chair number two, you are living for God. If you are chair number one, you're living from God. I said when you are in chair number two, you are living for love. If you are in chair number one, you're living from love. In chair number two, you're living towards inheritance. In chair number one, you're living from inheritance. It's a whole different way of living and loving. But when I'm in chair number two, it's not that Papa is not speaking. It's only problem is that when it speaks, it has to filter its way through my soul to touch my spirit. And I'm not sure, is, is, is this the Father? Is this God? Is this you, Jesus? Is this, or is this the flesh? Or is this myself? Or is this the devil? Because there's three different voices here. And then there is no clarity. While in chair number one, my sheep hears my voice and follows them. But when I'm here in this chair, and I can be honest with you, I've been in this chair since I got to Ohio. <laughs> a couple of times also when I landed in Chicago. So we're going to, I'm going to be vulnerable and this is family time. <laughs> wow. I don't like myself here. My wife don't like me here. But she's actually with me on this trip and traveling and it's like, ooh. But there's all these different things that is taking place. But when I'm in this chair, as I'm saying that here, this chair is rooted and grounded in love. I said, this chair is rooted and grounded in love. It is rooted and grounded in love. That means this chair, if you're looking at it and you go into the root system, it goes all the way back to the beginning where there was a father, son, spirit. Even before the foundation of the world, before creation, Ephesians 1.4, he says, I knew you and I predestined you. Part of your destiny, I pre and then I destined you in love. So you were right there in this perfect love in the beginning with him. 
Be careful, this kind of a thinking can lead to dancing. <laughs> and it was absolutely no fear. This is before the garden. If not, you can have a kingdom theology that's going to restore you back into the garden. But even in the garden, there was this, Psst, did God really say? Even if I took all of you up to heaven, there was still a fall in heaven. And I believe that one of the biggest real issues, because if you're looking at the Father, He points to the Son. You're looking at the Son, He points to the Spirit. The Spirit points to the Son. Son points to the Father. The Father honors the Son. Son honors the Spirit. Spirit honors the Son. Son honors the Father. The Father loves the Son. Son loves the Spirit. Spirit loves the Son. Son loves the Father. It's called family. This is connected to the eternal covenant we're heading back to just for a second. So here we are, family together. And I want you to say, and they are totally one. And this is connected to the John 17 prayer. That this is what Jesus is praying. That that perfect love that I have with the Father, that love is going to be in you. And eventually that's how Columbus is going to see who we are because we've learned how to love that way. But I want you to capture, I believe that the biggest key here, the Father loved the Son, but the Son loved the Son the way the Father loves the Son. There's totally oneness. But Lucifer on the other side could be an archangel, worship leader. The father in a perfect love loved Lucifer, but Lucifer didn't love Lucifer the way the father loved Lucifer. And that led to the fall with one-third of the fallen angels. And the whole chain number two, wool, where that psst, comes in, when he come into the garden, and here's the chain number two, because Lucifer was the first orphan. He no longer had a home. And he's coming into the garden. Psst, did God really say? And what he says is the same thing that is in the beginning. He's saying, listen, if you do something, you will have something. You will become something. That's the root of the orphan heart. And everything is fear-based. I do? Say, I do. Then I have. Then I become. But it's very, very different here. Say, I am. And because of who I am, I already have. And because of what I have, I do. Look at, look at where I point here. It is not what you do, chair number two, that makes you who you are. It is who you are that makes you do what you do. Can I say that one more time? I just, you see my dance with the chairs here. I say, it is not what I do that makes me who I am. But it is who I am that makes me do what I do. And so here we see this incredible picture. Hey, if you eat from this, you're going to be like Papa. Of course I want. And you can see this. And it's all connected. If I had a chance to trace it all the way. And I believe, and I'm going to put an ad life commentary. And you can move out whatever you don't want to. But I, I believe even when you're coming to the cross. And when you're coming to these divine exchanges that took place at the cross. I believe that Jesus became sin with our sinfulness so we can become righteous with his righteousness. Jesus took our shame so that we could see his glory. He took our sicknesses and disease so by his stripes we are healed. He took our poverty so we could share in his abundance and we can see all these amazing divine exchanges. But I believe what actually killed Jesus, and theologically this is a personal opinion, Jesus always calls him Papa, Father, Father. Until this moment, he says, Eli, Eli, Lama, Sabatani. He didn't say Father. He said, God, 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 
Why have you forsaken me? John 14, 18, he says, I will not leave you as an orphan. I will come to you. But now at this moment, I believe Jesus for a moment, he became an orphan so that you and I can be sons and daughters. For a moment, he was separated from perfect love so we could be restored back again to the perfect love. A God that loves this world so much that he gave, it is the given sons and daughters, he gave his only begotten son. A son that loved his father so much that was willing to come down. And this overwhelms me because for many years I didn't know this. And what happens with me even after, and we heard Aaron's story and my story, and I'm putting that together a little bit with the chairs as we're going to go a little bit more back and forth. But for so much of my life is that I had a visitation in chair number one, but then I lived in chair number two. So when the special meeting and the conferences, I came in chair number one, and I was suddenly a son with a dove, and I operated in anointing, gifts, and power, and authority, all these things that came, and we saw these amazing things. And so part of my story was June 6, 1995, when Dr. Randy Clark prayed for me, and he prophesied, and I suddenly had brought the baptism. I'm still on fire all these years later, but I had a baptism of fire and electricity, power. And this Baptist pastor was changed. But it was still something in my root system that had not taken me back again into the encounter with the Father's love. And when there's love deficiency in your life, there's also God deficiencies. Because God is love. And you're going to fill that with something. And for me, I'm an achiever. Because if I do, then I'm going to hear from the Father, well done, son, but if we had 40,000 people saved in one event, next time we could have 50. We had all those healing, but next time we're going to have more because you get your value based upon what you do instead of who you are. But I never did enough. And then there was some attack. I was in top shape and everything else. We moved back again to America, but first I ended up with a compression fracture in my neck. And being healthy now, I had this chronic pain. And August 2nd, 1998, there was the car accident. And it just changed my life. I just visited that as a memory stone in Norway where we ended up in the mountain wall and I broke my back, broke the ribs, broke my leg and ended up in a body cast. And I've had about 12 surgeries. So if you look close on this body, you will see there's all these scars around this body. So here I am, the one that is the bulldozer going into the darkest area and in the next moment I'm sitting in a wheelchair. And eventually this led to close to year 2000. This is a short part of my testimony. By the year 2000, I had seen a half a million people saved, been to 54 countries, seen over 300,000 healings. But on the inside, I was still an orphan. Good parents, but I'd operated from that orphan heart. An orphan competes with one another. Sons and daughters complete one another. Uh, uh, thank you. Let me say that again. Orphans compete with one another, but sons and daughters, they complete one another. Orphans things, and this is part of the kingdom economics, orphans things, you have a pizza, and that person got a slice, and now I'm not going to get one. In chair number one is that Papa owns the bakery. <laughs> it's a whole different way of living and loving from chair number one. But for me, I didn't realize things because what is happening, and I want you to see, I'm going to try to help to provide some language because part of my assignment, I have seen a million names now added to the Lamb's Book of Life, but the reason I'm sharing the story is for my brokenness and 11 years on opiates. And all the surgeries and 
And when I don't do enough, my wife don't do enough, my kids don't do enough. And the church don't do enough, the minister, because everybody need to do, and the value system, the greater thing you see, the more plus you get. And I knew Jesus, and I knew the Holy Spirit, and I knew everything about the fatherhood of God, but I just didn't know Papa. Because your view of him is totally reflected how you see yourself. And you do not see the world the way it is. You see the world the way you are. And you will never have a 20 vision and look in the mirror and see you in the right way until you have seen you the way Papa God sees you. But if you have a view of Papa, if you have a view of the Father that does not look like Jesus, it is time to put a question mark because Jesus came to show us how the Father is like. And every time he did something, all he did what he see his father do. And all he said is what he heard Papa say. So when Jesus come and touch lepers in that culture, when that's illegal, it's because that's what the father is doing. When a woman is coming to touch, it's because the father. And all Jesus came to reflect. So when he says, I'm the way, I'm the truth. And I think so many of us, we've been saved from something, but we have not recognized what we're saved to. And a lot of us have a robe of righteousness, but we don't have the ring. So we're coming to Jesus for another date, instead of knowing you're already married to him. So we forget about covenant, the wedding band. I know I'm going a little fast. I don't expect people to... Always take the notes. You can probably get recording. But the big thing I wanted to say in my own life, by 99, I'd just been kicked out, got the left foot of fellowship. I was part of a mega church, leading a movement. We had a mission organization. I'm broken physically, broken emotionally, taking opiates just to make it with all the pain and all the surgery. I just remember I sat in Disney World in a wheelchair. My daughter was on my lap, a baby girl. And I just started to cry because... I have this calling over my life. I'm supposed to go to this place, but I'm sitting here in this wheelchair. So it, it was a very big crisis, and similar like in Aaron's life, I'm not saying it didn't need to be that way, but for me it became a crisis that led to this very thing, and during one of my lowest moments, I got a call, and it was a man named Jack Taylor, who I talk to every day. I call him Papa Jack. He's 86 years old, and he preached this morning, and if you remember, last week you had Bill, you remember Bill Vanderbush? Yeah. Uh, it's also his spiritual papa. So Jack Taylor, hey, night, that was in year 2000. I got this call and said, would you come to a father and son's meeting? And I was like, what is that? And it was just a group of 80 to 100 people that came together and they were having this meeting and we just started to talk and share about what could this look like? What does the kingdom family look like? And in this conversation, Dennis Jernigan was playing the piano. He says, Leif, I have a song for you. Come up here. And I was so broken on the inside and on the outside. Had no church, no ministry, no support, even of friends. My wife was broken. Four children was broken in the middle of it. Have this incredible influence. But now there's nothing I can do. And it was one of the best things that could have ever happened to me. I'm so grateful for that process today when I'm looking back. Because it led me to this place where I was able to coming into this ocean <laughs> of love. And then it started to play. And in a moment, I started to feel 
these waves of love. And I'd read about D.L. Moody. I read about Charles Finney. I read about other people in history, man, Hans Nielsen, Haugen, Norway, when they had both the baptism of fire and the spirit and love. And the liquid love was there. And it just swept across the country of Norway and brought such a transformation. I had read stories, but that was history. It was not my story. And I knew about the baptism of water. I knew about the baptism of the spirit when the dove came down. Not just spirit in me, but the spirit upon me. So the spirit within me is for myself. The spirit upon me is for the people around me. But the promise was that I had visitation of the dove. I didn't know how to have habitation. I'm laying there on the floor, and this love took me into when I was in my mother's womb. It's like a movie. I'm laying there. And when my mom was pregnant with me, she didn't know she was pregnant. They had to remove one ovary, surgery, fears, when the knife and when the cutting is going on and everything else, afterwards, I, we think you're pregnant. So the whole time when she carried me, I was just, I came out into this world full of fear. Came from good, godly parents, good family, but I came out here just struggling with fear, even from the beginning. I didn't know it, but something in the subconscious. But that day, something changed. That perfect love went into that little baby. And it didn't just go there. It took me all the way back to the beginning, who I was. And there's a lot of things that is true about me, about the addiction, about the pain and the brokenness, but it is not the truth. And knowing the truth sets you free. And the truth is how Papa God sees me. And I was an ambassador of love, but what is the opposite of fear? Perfect love. So just in March, I was in a meeting with the president of Pakistan and October 15, I just received a picture. I'd have received an award, and I was supposed to be there with all these government officials, including from Saudi and all these countries. They're going to be there together. And the president of Pakistan, they were going to give me an award. And on it, and I have the picture of the plaque. It says, the ambassador of love. <laughs> Why is that so incredible to me? Because if I had an hour with each one of you, you tell me where the serpent has bitten you. I can tell you what is your destiny. Because where the serpent has bitten you is where you have the greatest authority. The second was shame as a 12-year-old boy when abuse took place and couldn't go anywhere. And as a result of that, you start with shame. And when there is shame, you, the enemy starts with this blackmailing thing and you're covering up and everything else. So I had carried fear and shame. And then that day on the floor... The liquid love just came and visited that 12-year-old boy. And the father just washed it with his love. And it just took me through the journey of life all the way up to where I was at. And then I had an audible voice, audible voice from heaven. And it's very seldom I could count it probably two or three times in my life it has been that clear. The rest is an inner voice. But that audible voice says, Leif, Leif, you are my, and you are my beloved you're my beloved son. Not servant, not apostle, not author, not doctor. No, you're my beloved son. I love you. I like you. I delight in you. But when he said the word, I am well pleased with you. Something went into the very root of my whole foundation. And went all the way back. And it came up, I'm a son. I'm a son. I'm a son. My papa loves me. He likes me. He delights in me. I'm his happy thought. Wow! 
None of my circumstances has changed. I still didn't have a church, didn't have any support. Nobody in our stream, Randy Clark didn't know he had prayed for me yet. Five years afterwards, I was in the evangelical Southern Baptist in conservative stream. So nobody in our streams knew me. And later on, I ended up in an event and I ended up sitting all the way in the back. I thought with Frida, who's married to Jack, she was with me. She became one of my first people that got transformed, had a baptism of love. And she became a spiritual daughter. And later she married my spiritual papa and she became my spiritual mama. That's when it, I know that's kind of a kingdom stuff. <laughs> but Freedom was with me in that meeting, and then in the next moment, the first speaker's up speaking, and then the second speaker is Bishop Joseph Gollington. And in the middle of the message, he stops and he says, There's a Leif, Leif Hatlin here. You are supposed to pray for me and my wife Barbara afterwards. He's preaching on quantum worship, had nothing to do with a message. And when the meeting is over, Called me coming up front and the glory just hit and I'm ending up on the top of the bishop. <laughs> I'm crying and snorting and drooling on the bishop's suit. And they're pulling me off and took Barbara and Bishop out the dead and I'm laying there and they said, we want you to pray and prophesy over the people. And a few weeks later and things just started to happen all over and then two weeks later, hey, this is Randy Clark. I'm in Brazil. I heard that I had prayed for you. And it was six years. But when I didn't need it, because I'm a son, I'm a beloved son, when you don't need it, you can be entrusted with it. What you are free from, you can have. Because whom the Son set free is free indeed. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom. But it's not just whom the Son set free. Whatever you've been set free from, chair number one, whatever you've been set free from, you can set people free from. Well, how? So now it is whom the sons and daughters set free that is free indeed. So this started my journey on this incredible process to learn how to live, and it's still the biggest thing. So people, missiologists, they come and study me, and we actually just had, uh, yesterday, we had, wow, the dean of this well-known evangelical school come to the meeting, and we prayed, and not a PhD brilliant, all these brilliant people came, and we were sitting there together, and it's like, wow, they're trying to figure out, how do you do that? And I say, you don't. <laughs> but we saw it. I said, yes. <laughs> but that's impossible. I said, yes. It's just a little boy with a dove. And there's nothing wrong to have apostleship or leadership or stewardship and friendship. But just make sure that sonship goes before any other ship. And if not, you're going to have shipwreck. <laughs> so back to my three chairs. When I'm in chair number one, I'm anointed. Say anointed. When I'm in chair number two, I'm annoying. <laughs> when I'm in chair number one, I'm prophetic. When I'm in chair number two, I'm pathetic. <laughs> so let me, just, let me just share a couple of stories you can see, practically speaking, in life, how this is operating uh, uh, during the last year, since 2001, I've had an honor, and some of our covenant relationship is Bethel and Reading, and 
uh, I was at this, this probably three, four years ago, I was speaking at the prophetic conference. I do not see myself primary as a prophet, but I've been invited to speak at the prophetic conference. And uh, the other speaker was Sean Bowles. And he's a very dear friend. And so Sean was up there. And this is kind of right after he had his incredible encounter. And uh, I mean, he's a channel of one prophet, by the way. <laughs> he comes from love because it comes from him. It goes through him and back to him. Because there's a lot of prophets in chair two. They give diagnosis what's wrong in the world. Chair number one, they give the cure. Because the different worldview is, because if you are in chair number two, if you touch the lepers, you become unclean. But if you are in chair number one, if you touch the lepers, they become clean. So, Sean is doing what Sean does. It was like, and I'm sitting... And I got to speak afterwards. <laughs> so Sean is there. I mean, and it is just incredible. I mean, he is prophesying, giving details. If you have not seen, I mean, it was some of the best that I have ever seen. It was like, wow. But as somebody whispers, hey, you're going to have to follow that. <laughs> so in a moment, listen, in a moment, a dove lifted. And I got stuck with pigeons in chair two. <laughs> And pigeon religion is different than when the dove is there. And remember, it was a dove that came and rested on Jesus. It never left, but I was left with pigeons. And the problem is when you're in chair number two, because again, in chair number two, you start to compare to other people. And then you feel this inferiority. And then you're becoming a bad copy. Because, And by the way, let me just bless you to be you. Everybody else is occupied. So here we are, Sean, and I'm stuck here, and I'm looking at my watch. It's about six minutes, and he has. A, and first, I'm thinking about well, what word do I say, and do I have a word or not? I'm kind of trying to feel. There's a huge room and Bethel TV. I'm thinking about maybe somebody in this room have a back problem, <laughs> or maybe somebody on Bethel TV have a back problem. Since one out of three people will have it, maybe then. <laughs> it's just so. When you're in Chernobyl, you think some very weird thoughts. <laughs> But then I did something because I remember my chairs. So what I did is I repented. I re and pented. I went back in the penthouse where I belong. Repent. <laughs> Why being in the basement here when you can be in the penthouse with Papa God? So I'm back again in chair number one. And when you're in chair number one, you have that wow effect. That's my brother, Sean. And when the time when they introduced me, I came up on the stage. Actually, I did a three-chair message if the ones that was there and I started to be able to describe. It's because how can you add value to what you honor? Because when you honor, you have access. You honor a prophet in a prophet's name. So you start to, we start to honor one another. And whoo! So when you honor my special sauce and honor, you just imagine here at the family table. There should be a little bit of the aroma of every one of you and me that I can take with me to the Philippines. And before then, I, I'm sharing one more kind of a Sean story, but what happened when I came up there was just, I came up, I said, wow, I'm so honored, I'm so, so, so grateful that that's my brother Sean, that's my brother Sean. Wow. And I just looked at my portfolio. I know people, look. I just looked at my portfolio. And my stock just exploded. 
Because when his stock went up, my stock went up. Because this is a family business. And I remember, because he spoke at one of our family gatherings in Atlanta, we have this gathering, just family coming together. And, and in the middle, he had spoken at, at our church that Sunday morning, and he just said, Leif! He stopped in the middle of the sermon, Leif! And he used covenant language, I give my life! And then he just continued, I give my life to you! And I knew it was a covenantal language. Chapter number two is about convenient relationship. Chapter number one is about covenant relationship. This one is contractual. If you do this, I do. Because that's the whole world of the orphans. And the only reason that we have not seen the outpouring of the greatest move that the world has ever seen, and we're hearing about a one billion soul harvest, and when Bob Jones first had a download, he had died and he went to heaven. But then the father says, son, did you learn how to love? I'm going to send you back in to learn how to love. And that's when this one billion soul harvest. At the voice of the apostle three years ago, I was going to finish the last event at the voice of the apostle. And the spirit spoke to me and says, Leif, I don't want a billion orphans. I want a billion sons and daughters. Many times we've been looking for the fire. Well, God has been looking for healthy fireplaces. Because the fire belongs to fireplaces, and then the wind will start to spread fires. And so I just realized this ache in me that creation right now is just moaning and groaning for the very manifestation of the sons and daughters of God. But all if I were the devil, I know exactly what I will do is, and that's why 93% of the believers are living their life in Gen number two. And the temperature that is in the world is totally reflected by it. You do not have a darkness problem in America, but lack of light. There's actually not even a fear problem, but lack of love, because perfect love always casts out fear. So part of my assignment is eventually, I just feel a calling that in the next, I shared with Aaron this morning, it's the first time I said it public this morning, but I said I, I believe the next part, and that's why I have three, 4,000 young people, I'm bringing them into chair number one, Full of love, full of power, and full of wisdom. It's called sons and daughters of glory, and it's called a like convergence lifestyle. But when you don't know the difference between love, power, and wisdom, because they become one. Just like Jesus. He was full of love, full of power, full of wisdom. It's like an eagle. The embodiment is love, and the wings is power and wisdom. Sons and daughters of glory. That will reflect who the Father is. Every problem we have here on earth, the solution you can find it in the face of God. <laughs> is that the Holy Spirit telling me that I am in the wrong chair? <laughs> I'm not going to go so much deeper here, but I think that you're seeing the framework. You can look at all scripture verses from these three chairs. You can do intercession from chair two, where there's orphans. I want you to hear it. Where there's orphans in chair two, where we are begging God to do what he's called us to do. We can call it prayer. God call it disobedience.
It's very different when it is my papa and it is your papa and it is our father. We honor your name. It's the relationship with him. That's how we're going to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is from that relational. But so many times what we're doing is we forget our wedding band. So my assignment is to raise up, as I'm saying, one million of these for that one billion sons and daughters harvest that is coming. It's to raise up healthy families around the world. So 22 countries right now, we have a culture that is changing culture. Because even there, and my friend Lance Walden and I, for quite a few years, we did quite a few conferences, both on the seven mountains that we were together. And one of the things that I often have said, even in regard to the seven mountains, you can look at that from chair number two. And if I'm coming in as an orphan, I'm going to climb that mountain, and I'm going to use my skill set, I'm going to create tipping points. But it is raising up people to learn to be a lion, but they don't first learn to be lamb. And Jesus is the lamb of God, and he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. But if you have lion without the lamb's heart, when you roar, people scatter instead of gather. And the book of Revelation, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, not the Antichrist. And Jesus as a son of, he's the son of Abraham. Who's that? The lamb, Isaac, the sacrificial. He's the son of David. What is that? The lion. Matthew 1, 1 starts. The Old Testament starts with a curse. After 400 years of silence, he's restoring. And here is, this is the genealogy of Jesus. Look at the roots. Because you honor the roots and you can be entrusted with the fruits. And one of them goes into the lamb's nature, the other lion, and I believe these sons and daughters. And that's what I saw with you, Mary, because I heard Papa says, you are his roaring lamb. I saw you up there. I just saw that it was like... And I want us to have this because of us, that the identity in this nature, and I'm going to just tell a couple of stories here. The identity is in the lamb. Then the authority is in the lion. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is 24 times lamb and one time lion. And the time when you see him as a lion, they looked and then he became a lamb. So let's not underestimate the power of the lamb, the blood of the lamb, the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. It is up on the throne and the lamb. The lamb is going to lid up this whole place. There's not going to be need of sun or moon any longer. You can just go on and on. And there's a lamb in you, arise and shine, for the light has come. And I believe the lamb's nature, now taking you back to, and I'm going to land this then, and we can start the minutes. Are you guys okay? Is this too much? But this is my heart, and i give you an example. A few years ago, again, I was heading to the Middle East. Uh, I spent about half of my time in the darkest places in the world, and I'm going in there, and that part of the thing is what does love look like? And love is in the center, but what is power and wisdom? And sometimes, as I say, wisdom is a covert revival. You change a system from, you're going underneath the radar, you change environment. It is when you suddenly become like a leaven that is planted in. It is the light and the salt that changes environment. I believe in overt. But also we need to learn the wisdom of when to be covert. So sometimes it's just a little Jehovah sneaky. You're going underneath the radar and you change the environment from the inside out. And these people are coming and they're being transformed from the inside out. 
If you plant a seed of love and fear moves out and they're getting changed and they get the eyes of love, ears of love, they're going to be changed and it ends like, what happened to me? It's like somebody being pregnant for nine months, then you help them to deliver. I plant a seed so they get pregnant sometimes, some of these leaders, and it is a process. That's kind of the, the Daniels, the Josephs, the Esthers, the Nehemiahs. It's going in if you're going to see some of those systems. So I've been on this journey of learning, first of all, making sure that I'm motivated from love. And I learned a couple of stories connected to this that I just being brutal honest with you, but one of those incidences, I was invited with one of the more uh, fundamentalist stream of Islam, the Al-Hadith or the Wahhabi. One of the top leaders, one of the most influential leaders, I was invited to his headquarter, and I have a lot of relationship. Every day I'm in touch with different friends. For me, I see them as family. Because when you're in Chernobyl 1, you don't treat people based upon their history, but their destiny. I said, when you're in chair number one, because with the eyes of love, when I see the terrorist Saul, uh, can I see the Apostle Paul? Writing, love is patient, love is kind, love is... So you're certainly now releasing, and that's also the prophetic aspect of us, all of us are prophetic people, is that to release things. So when I know the history of these people, but I also know the destiny. And I start to speak the destiny. It's a totally different way than, oh, this person is evil. <laughs> when I'm in chair number two, I see how big Goliath is. When I'm in chair number one, I see how big Papa is. It's a whole different way of living and loving. And so anyway, so my story is I ended up at this headquarter. And when I met with a few of these imams and leadership he was very saddened, and he said, uh, I am so sorry, all I can offer you a little chai. And he had a couple of cookies. Normally, he gives me a pretty nice meal. And we were sitting around, and he told me his son had fallen down. They were doing this big Ramadan, a big event that's going to head to the end of Ramadan. And he had fallen down, broken his neck. And the son, the oldest son, was actually in the hospital on a ventilator, and they just put him on a breathing tube. And uh, they knew it that he was going to be quadriplegic, and there was no hope. So for him, it's just devastated. And I just had enough favor in this room, that's wisdom, to be able to pray. So I said, could I pray? And I mentioned his name, and they all stood there, and I just released. And then after I prayed, I just said, would it be okay if I go to the hospital? And again, I had enough favor over a period of time where he said yes, and came to the hospital with guards with guns, and we walked into the hospital room. I still remember when his son was laying there, and I was thinking because of these governmental leaders, I knew that from Saudi Arabia to all over the world, this miracle, would, that's kind of a... And so I walked into this room, and this boy is there, and I started to pray, and I did, there's healing in the covenant, there's healing in the kingdom, and nothing happened. I pray, nothing happened. And uh, he stands there with his beard, the people are standing around, and there is, I'm thinking, can you feel any kind? There's absolutely no response. And eventually, I'm like, I was very, very sad, and my heart was broken, and eventually, I was leaving that, I was heading to another city, and on my way up there, I was just thinking, God, I'm, I mean, you could have given a lot of glory to your son right now. And I just, to be honest, I'm a little disappointed. And he says, Leif, I'm going to teach you how to love without any agenda. Your love still have a hook, Leif. 
and I did something. I was just broken, and eventually I ended up Islamabad Marriott Hotel. I'm sitting at the fireplace, and again, I'm kind of broken over this, and I'm sitting there, and then I have one son and three daughters, a son, Leif Emanuel. He's 29 right now. We have a 27-year-old daughter, son-in-law, 26-year-old daughter, 22. But my son at the time, I, I can be honest, this biggest price I've paid over all these years is being away from my family. And, and so many times I've just, if there's one regret I have, I just wish I could have been home. Sometimes I was in hospital. Sometimes I knew I would never come home. And it was just, so I was sitting there just lonely and just thinking about what I'd love to be with my boy right now and see him and just tell him how much I love him and how much I miss him. And I'm just sitting there. And then the spirit says, Leif, would you take your only son, Leif Emmanuel, and would you let him be a quadriplegic and a vegetable the rest of his life so that this imam's son can be healed? And first I, just, I, I rebuked that voice, and then it came again, and again, and again, by the fifth time. And I've been studying John 17, 26 for seven years, but I didn't know it was studying me. And at that moment, Father, Father, I've declared your name among them. I will declare it. That the very love, Father, that you have towards me, that love is going to be in them, and I in them. Christ within you, the hope of glory around you. And I just said, started to weep. I said, Father, I knew this was not kind of a charismatic. I said, Father, I, I don't know how to love that way. I don't know how to love that way. And I just sat, and these waves of love again came over me, sitting there, and I just sat there and just felt. I knew I couldn't give something I didn't have. Fifteen minutes afterwards, our coordinator gave a call, and this man, where is Dr. Leaf? My name is Leif, by the way. I said, where is Dr. Leaf? He's in a different city. It would be like in Atlanta, you in Columbus. I swear to Allah, he just came in here, and then he disappeared. I'm sitting in another city. And then he went. He said, he's going to the hospital. And I just called the hospital. And they just took my son off a ventilator. And I knew. And he said something. Life, what you just tasted was like a little glass compared to this ocean of love that I'm about to pour out. There's been a reformation of grace. Revival transformed lives, churches, communities. Reformation transformed culture. The first reformation, reformation of grace, 1517. Justification by faith and grace alone, and Jesus was being restored back to the world. He's always been around from eternity past. Second reformation, another birth, 1906, and another reformation that changed. There's a new reformation, the Father is being restored. And that's what's going to stop the curse that is in the Lamb. The first one was grace. The second one was power. This one is love, the Agape Reformation. That's how the world is going to see who we are. Because we've learned how to love this way. So here's another story. Then connect so you can just see how the cheers. And here's a key, and I just want to encourage anyone that is in ministry. The biggest weapon of the enemy in this season is fatigue. And he's trying to wear us out. So what he does is he, he first letting your emotional tank go down in fatigue. And then he just waits till it's down to an E, empty. Then he pushes the button of fear and you go in this chair. So from fatigue, say fatigue. fatigue. Then fear, say fear. fear. Then the next thing is failure. Failure. 
Ah, you're supposed to be here, and look now. And then, forsaken. Say it with me. Say fatigue, fear, failure, forsaken. And the enemy then isolates you, and you have the super green chair too, and then shame comes in. And the people here are not able to see who your papa is. And then there is pain in your life, and pain seeks pleasure. And then from this place, you're either going to go in religion by trying to do these things too, or you're getting in rebellion. Chair number one is always about glory management. Chair number two is always about sin management. So I was sitting there in the Middle East, and I was tired. I was totally fatigued, and this is the last story on this. But it was come down to eat, to empty, and I didn't realize it because you have had night and day and warfare and battlefields, and I had been all over the place. And then when I landed and totally exhausted, arrives at 3 in the morning, by 5 o'clock, I get to my hotel. I'm finally going to lay down. and I'm going to rest. I'm so excited to sleep. And then suddenly you have, ah, the mosque is right outside. <laughs> and I can't sleep. So I'm, I'm trying to just turn on the TV because there had been some suicide bombers right around us. So I was just going to check, and it's in Arabic and Urdu and Farsi, different speakers and teachers, every channel. And I'm like, and then I saw this one person with his beard when he was teaching on TV. And I felt the Holy Spirit, but I didn't realize what's happened. I ended up in chair two. What happened was fatigue. Elijah, 1 Kings 18, confronting the kingdom of darkness, fire from heaven, 450 false prophets. Later on, just wait till the battery goes down, and then boom, that button. And then one woman gets him to run for his life, and he becomes suicidal. I can show this pattern all through history and scripture. Super glue in chair two. So I'm there and I'm looking at his TV, but now whatever overwhelms you shapes you. And I'm overwhelmed by fear. I just feel this intimidation. And I listen, I wanted to turn it off. And the Holy Spirit says, Leif, I want you to meet him. And I thought, well, I don't want to meet him. I want to sleep. <laughs> and then the whisper is again and. Here I hear usually the father's voice, but here it's like it has to filter its way through. Leif, I want you to meet this man. I don't want to meet him, but I know I can't sleep if I don't try. So out of love for sleep, in exhaustion, I call my coordinator and says, I want you to go to this man's headquarters, and I want you to contact him and try to set up a meeting. My coordinator, who has lived there for all of us, like some 60 years, he says, oh, it's impossible. This guy is as big as Oprah is in America. I mean, this is, he, he, there's no way that he's going to meet an infidel like you. So I'm like, okay, but I, you, you do it. Just go and ask. And my coordinator went there a few hours afterwards. I found out he had come to the secretary. And the secretary just said, there's no way. It's not interested. My coordinator came back, and I'm like, yeah. Now I can sleep. And then as I was trying to sleep again, I couldn't get rest. And then I heard the Holy Spirit says, Leif, I didn't ask you to try to see him. I said, I want you to see him. And at this moment, I knew, that's impossible. I, I don't know how to do it. And then again, I knew I had to repent. I went back to the resting place. I went back to my identity. Say Identity. And out of identity, there's intimacy. Say intimacy. Yes. And then there's inheritance. Say inheritance. Yes. 
And then there is destiny. Say destiny. destiny. So I'm back here in the resting place. And then I say, Father, I don't know how to do that. The Holy Spirit, just, just help me. And so I turn on the television. I turn it on and I look at the same channel, the same person. And the Holy Spirit says, what do you see? And I wanted to describe, if I was in chair number two, I can tell you what I was seeing. But right now, I know the Father is asking me to see what He is seeing. So I just wait, and then as I'm waiting there, and just wanted to hear from the Father to come from Papa. Suddenly I hear, He is a man of peace. He actually is a peacemaker. And from here, I start getting awake suddenly, and I start to speak to that TV. You are a peacemaker. You are standing in my room. And then the Holy Spirit says, what are you going to do about it? And now I, I, I know you're getting the words of knowledge on elbows, but I needed a word of knowledge of. And then I got an idea, and I knew it was so crazy, it has to be God. <laughs> because this thought came into my mind, and it says, give him, go and make a glass sculpture, and put his name on, and give him the International Peace Award of the Year. It's like, wow, that sounds like you, God. It was like, whoa. <laughs> My coordinator thought I was crazy. I said, come here. And I said, here's the money. And we need to get, make this glass sculpture and everything else. And he's like, no, this is, go and do it. And he has been around me enough to know, okay, finally. He's like, and eventually he came back and beautiful with this person's name and all of the things. And from Dr. Leif Hetland, the president of Global Mission Awareness, he has won. And then I told my coordinator, go to his headquarters. He said, they won't see me. But he, in obedience, went there. And when he came to the secretary, the person, I told you, he won't see him. And he said, you need to remember, he has won. Your leader has won the International Peace Award. <laughs> and there's a delegation. And what do you think is going to happen to you when your leader found out that you kept him from receiving the International Peace Award? <laughs> So he went to his personal assistant, and he was full of fear. So he went to the leader, and I got a call. And we went there, and I had a guy called Bob Phillips who was on Randy's board. A couple of my guys, they were with me, and we went there. One side, there's about 400 imams and about 400 women with a burqa, and met this man that I've seen on television, and we went up there on the stage, and I had the honor of presenting the International Peace Award of the Year. This story is not totally over because that's turned the night why this favor came in. Later on, there was this event, and I can't talk too much in detail, in Washington, D.C., this governmental part of President Obama's, what he wanted to be, they called the Freedom Act, and a group of leaders from around the world. And I was exhausted. We were in England, and I got a call to come to Washington, D.C., and we were at National Cathedral, and he was there, and he says, I want to come to, I want to, come to Atlanta, and I want to meet you. I was thinking, this is not a good time because my wife is about to come home now. That's what I was thinking. But I said, yes, please come. And my wife left our team and came home from England and came home. And I said, I have a special guest. And when he arrived at Atlanta Airport and we had his imam with beard, we were walking hand in hand. That's in the deep south. <laughs> so you better learn to be comfortable with love. <laughs> and I could almost feel this look. And then eventually we ended up in my office and we're sitting in my office. And I had learned a little bit of wisdom, love, power, wisdom. But wisdom is, I put the Al-Quran in Arabic up on the top of my shelf, and then I put the Bible on the other shelf. 
And we came in, and he sat, and I sat, and he saw the Quran, and he took the Quran down, and he started in Arabic and read from the Al-Quran. And as he was reading, I started to feel first a little fatigue, but then I feel the presence of Jesus is coming in. And I was thinking, this is not a very good time, Jesus. <laughs> so I'm, I'm trying to look at him, but he starts to get blurry. And I'm starting to get a little drunk in the spirits. And I'm like, I, I tried to be official, but I started to feel this. And he's reading from the Al-Quran in Arabic to me. And I'm sitting there. And I'm not going to say anything. And finally, he looks up and says, oh, what are you doing to me? I said, oh, what are you talking about? He said, well, what is this tingling from the top of my head and this tingling that is going like this in my body? Well, what is that? <laughs> it's, it's, it's just the presence of Jesus. And at that moment, I had a word of knowledge. Can I pray for you? And I had enough favor because of the previous, but not to touch him. That's wisdom. Knowing how much favor you have available. I put my hand over his head. And he just looked at me because he didn't say no, that meant for me. Yes. <laughs> and so I just prayed and I started to bless him. I bless you in the name of Jesus. I bless your body. I bless your family. I bless your wife's children. And it was wife's plural and children. And then he kind of looked at me. It was strange and finished later on. Next morning, I came to Wyndham Hotel in Peachtree City, where we live, and came to pick him up. Said, "I want you to come to my room." I'm thinking, "Am I in trouble?" <laughs> it was so kind of strict. So I walk into his hotel room. I've never been in his hotel room. I'm walking in, and he opened up the laptop, and right there is his two wives and his nine children from Groenlandan. And he says, "Can you give them what I received yesterday?" So on the laptop, I just started to pray and bless him. Later on, he ended up, he spoke in a mosque in San Diego. And one of the, I think it was Los Angeles, San Francisco. I got these leaders, imams, there's these followers all over. So what is happening to our leader? You know, I'm going to Philippines. And so I was, sit, I was sitting with a thousand of our young leaders in the Philippines that November afterwards. And I'm together with our leaders. And there's this WhatsApp. I don't look at my phone in meetings. but so, And it's him. And he said, I, I, I have a situation. I said, what is it? And he said, well, I, I put an ad in the paper and told people that are sick and women that are barren and people that are haunted by witchcraft and people that are broken to come to the mosque. And that Jesus was going to heal them like he did for me. <laughs> but he says, I, I don't know how to pray that way. <laughs> and then I'm on the phone in the Philippines and over in the Middle East. That's who I was on the phone with during the night, and his son, and, and his, this, this person, even when he's coming to the screen, I had this one guy, I'm looking at it, this guy's going to help and talk me through Skype. It was a different guy, I was like, this person is, he looks very kind of scary <laughs> during the night. So I was just sitting, and this person, but then the person said, Papa Leif, I read your book, Seeing Through Heaven's Eyes. And he had an encounter with love. 
All I want to invite everyone in this room to have, how many of you here would like to live a lifestyle in chair number one? Uh, is there anyone here that has ever visited chair number two, or is it just me? Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to see if somebody didn't raise their hand, I want to walk in your shadow because I have some back problems. <laughs> And I know whatever shadow you're standing, I can walk in it and I'm going to get healed. <laughs> but when we are in this place, and I'm just saying this is, I know this is a 12-hour session, but I felt I wanted, this is more me sowing into this family. I hope this will be a language for you. So if that's financially speaking, you say, okay, which chair are we thinking from? One is from heaven towards earth. This one is focusing how you get to heaven. This brings heaven to you. It's a whole different way of living one. So, so this place, you have a wedding banner, and you're totally one with him. You're one with the Father, one with the Son, one with the Spirit. And we are one with one another. It's a covenantal thing. And God is a covenant-keeping God. But the biggest key here is to be rooted and grounded in love. I said the key here is to be rooted and grounded in love. Rooted and grounded in love. It is coming into that ocean of love and letting that love going into the deepest root area in our life. Wow! So we're stepping in. So if I were to do a survey of each one of you and say, uh, who, is, who, who are you? My name is Jim. Uh, okay, oh, he's maybe the lead pastor here. Uh, he's an author. I've read his book. Uh, and he does, I mean, you could go to bed. The first thing that you know about every single one of us when they start to do an interview, or he's a worship leader, or he's a CEO, or he's a PhD, or he's, the first thing that you say about it, who are you? It's anointed son, anointed daughter. That's, that should be the source of all of us. And out of that, you can be fathers and mothers. You can have apostleship and leadership and all the ships following that sonship. But who does the world say that I am? Well, Simon, chair two. That's chair two name. Who do you, Simon, say? This time, Simon, get a father revelation. Looks at Jesus. You are Christ. That's the dove, the anointed one. You're the son, son, son of the living God. Simon Bar-Jonah, Simon, chair number two name, son of Jonah. This revelation you can only get from my father. Because who Jesus is to you is who he will be through you. Upon this rock, what rock? Upon the identity of anointed sons and daughters, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's going to be built upon the identity of anointed sons and daughters, upon Christ. The son, son of the living God. That's the father revelation. Because who Jesus is to you is who Jesus will be through you. And that's going to be a reflection who your father is. Sons and daughters in the spirit. Can we stand to our feet? And do you mind Mary maybe coming up here and Aaron also maybe coming in? Okay.